You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 15. Welcome to the Give Me Five podcast. I'm Jimmy, and I'm here with Greg. Yeah, you are. And Rob. You're darn tootin'. Here on the Give Me Five podcast, the three of us discuss five things that entertained us this week. This week, we will cover the new full-length album by Roadkill Ghost Choir, False Youth, etc., the Netflix original movie The Babysitter, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas, Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comics, and SLC Punk 2? Yeah. There was, a, there was a one? There was a one. And he wrote it like that because I put a question mark on there. And because yeah. we, Jimmy's not entirely sure he wants to cover SLC Punk 2, but I'm forcing him because I am mean. Slave driver. It's true. So heads up, guys. This is a review show. There will probably be spoilers. We'll try to avoid any major twists. For example... If you did not know that the door that Rose floated on in the in the Titanic was actually big enough to hold Jack 2, as opposed to Jack 1, or that the Industrial Revolution is also known as the Mechanical Revolution, Omar, <laughs> then you might want to check out for a bit and come back later. And, of course, if you want to contact us, for example, to let us know that one of us said the Mechanical Revolution instead of the Industrial Revolution, or that one of us, namely me, completely screwed up the era of the uh, depression, then uh, you can always contact us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. That, of course, is F-I-V-E in Give Me Five podcast. Or you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. Or you can email us at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to help the show for free, you can uh, go to any of your providers, give us a star rating on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast listening software is, and that helps us get to the top and helps us defeat those nasty, nasty other people at the Give Me Five podcast with the number five. Screw them. He calls it the mildly melancholy era. <laughs> I just got the year wrong. I'm bad at that. So uh, anything new, guys? Yeah, uh, big news in the world of gaming. We recently covered the closing of Visceral Games by... The Evil Alliance, or EA Studios, which has effectively... Screw you, EA! Which has effectively put a nail in the Dead, Dead Space franchise and uh, has shipped off the uh, linear gameplay-based Star Wars game. Yeah, and there's some more EA Star Wars news, which I'm sure, unless you've been living under a rock or you're one of the smart people that doesn't go on Reddit, <clears throat> that you might... Yeah, but I'm next to you going on Reddit, usually, so... True. Hi, uh... So the new Star Wars Battlefront 2 game came out. Uh, Battlefront 2, or Battlefront 1, while being a beautiful game with great sound effects, great graphics, was a huge disappointment for me because it forced me basically to play with, play against other people. And that is not how I like playing video games. I like maybe to play with my friends against computer enemies or... Who, who were cheating, no less. Yeah, there was some people that were definitely powering up way faster than I believe humanly possible. Not anyway. to mention, not to mention hacks that allowed them to shoot through walls and and track you when you weren't visible and all of that crap. 
but I, and personally, I like playing, you know, with my friends against computer things or, or going through a story and the game didn't let you do that. So when Battlefront 2 was announced and they said that, okay, we heard you guys, we're going to allow there to be, you know, there's going to be a single player campaign. I was excited, but (laughs) so the beta came out and the game actually came out earlier this week or last week at time of the, this being released. And I'm going to read a, a post here on Reddit, which is dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. So it says, hey, I, I don't even go on Reddit, and I heard about this. So so someone actually wrote um, about this game. Seriously, I paid $80 to have Vader locked, meaning someone paid for the game. These are for the people that aren't big video game people. Paid for the game. One of the main characters, technically Vader and Luke, so two of the main characters, are locked behind a credit wall, meaning you have to play the game for at least 40 hours and probably be good at it for about 40 hours in order to get enough credits to activate these characters, one of them. So meaning 80 hours for both characters. Um, his This writer wrote, um, his name is uh, MBM Maverick, and he wrote, this is a joke, I'll be contacting EA support for a refund. I can't even play effing Darth Vader. Disgusting, the age of microtransaction has gone way too far. Leave it to EA to stretch the boundaries, meaning you already paid 80 bucks for the game. You have to either play the game for a very long time to get certain characters to play or pay them money, more money, to unlock these characters. Now, it's kind of now, it's a gambling system too. It's not like you just pay the money to unlock the characters. You pay the money to get credits to and then unlock the characters. Now keep in mind that at eighty dollars, that is probably an upgraded version, like a gold version or a platinum version or like a special edition or something. Because yeah, games the, games typically are only about sixty bucks. Yes. So, so the, I think it was the special um, the special forces edition or something. Okay. But um, so EA actually responded to this post on on reddit and they said um go forward to that page because it has been locked now because it's been getting um because you have to now you have to pay to see it yeah right (laughs) so i have to get 40 i have to play for wait for 40 hours where i can read this now um it was the intent is to provide players with a sense of pride and accomplishment for unlocking unlocking different heroes as for cost we select the values based on data from open beta which is the testing and other adjustments made to milestone rewards um, so that's, there's more, but that's basically what it is. It ended up being the most down voted comment in Reddit history. Now, some of that is reactionary. Some of that is, let me pile on. And stop lying, EA, because if your goal was to provide players with a sense of accomplishment, then you wouldn't make it purchasable. You would make them play for it. And that is the answer right there. And this stop could- Stop your lying. This could be old guys complaining about stuff and old guys looking back. But first of all, most of the people complaining are not old. We we are. But I think that some of this, you know, there are characters in the past that we've had to unlock. I'm sure, uh, to all three of us, I'm pretty sure, played Goldeneye. Mm. And there were characters that you had to unlock in Goldeneye, like um, uh, Oddjob and the Golden Gun and stuff like that. And there, there's always been stuff that you unlocked by completing but, the game. Yeah, or by finding a code in a magazine or something back then. Right. But right. none of that was ever you can either play it to unlock the game or pay 19.99 and we'll give you credits for you to unlock it and that's i think where the problem comes in now nah, you had to beat the big bad man that was a sense of accomplishment yeah i beat the game look i get to play as this character now yeah so this is not a case of well everyone just wants stuff for free now no we paid for the game if you want to hide stuff behind defeating the game or winning a certain number of battles that's fine but don't allow people that 
can't do it to just be like, well, you know what? I can drop another 40 bucks just to get this character. And I, I don't know the exact money. Uh, someone did actually try to figure out how much it was going to be. And I believe if you wanted to unlock every character behind a paywall, it was like 2000 or $3,000. Oh, if you... screw you, EA. Screw you. Yeah. I will not buy another EA game. And that's the thing. Like, I am well aware, and Jimmy as well, that video games cost money to develop. They cost money to you know, create the graphics, but this is all going right to the shareholders who want to make more and more and more and more. You know, I know that artists have to come up with more art and stuff like that and their work to the bone, but I think part of the reason their work to the bone and they it's considered that way is because their their pay is not really going up all that much. And I know I have a bunch of friends that work for EA and they've burned out really quick. And you talk to them and I'm sure Jimmy, you as well, right? Yeah. Uh, people that I've come into contact with, uh, don't last very long there. I mean, there's people I know that have, you know, a, a shipping date is coming up and they've had to get rid of their dogs cause they can't get home to walk them cause they're at work for 16, 17 hours. Um, people I know that have, that you talk to them and like, Oh man, you start off like, I got a job at EA. I'm so excited. And then a few months later you're talking to them and they're like, Oh, I got to get out. This industry sucks. And they either leave the industry altogether or they go to smaller companies. So. You know, well, this is kind of three people, you know, bashing and piling on to a bunch of other people that are bashing and piling on. Um, you know, this company has gotten voted the worst company in America to work for two years in a row. And that means that it? all of this extra money that's going, that's getting paid for and people are paying it, I'm sure, to unlock these characters, to unlock the characters in these, the cell phone games, et cetera, et cetera. It's going somewhere and I don't think it's going to be going to the, the employees. It's all going to shareholders. It's all going to buy other companies that they eventually shut down and take over their licenses. And, you know, it's pretty gross. So figured we'd bring it up and let the the people that might not be big gamers out there just kind of know what's going on, right? And maybe you don't even care, but EA is the devil. The devil. That being said, I cannot wait to unlock that killer Ewok. Whoops. <laughs> Little murder bear. Yes. So what else? Well, I think you and I both had the opportunity to um, to check out uh, the the end of the food and wine festival. And I, while I know that we won't be we won't be discussing it at length in this episode, I do think it might have something to do with our give me five question. Yeah. At the end. So, um, so yeah, we both did the food, Epcot food and wine festival. Jimmy, you got a chance to check it out as well, right? I saw Kenny G there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not see any of the musicians. Partially because I was with the uh, the four year old, and I don't know who Squeeze is. I think I'm old because I, I did never heard of whoever that is. I thought that was a verb. It was a it was the band that was playing back there. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, but I got I I actually brought my mom to Food and Wine. We went with my my wife and child, my mom, and she got a chance to go on Soren for the first time. And I was a little nervous because she's not a big fan of rides and Soren. She said she's like she could not stop raving on it. She actually got got off of it and it's like, I want to go back. And uh, so Rob, what foods did you try? And what would you say was your favorite? What was my favorite? We pretty much did most of the right side. So we did like the can, we did all like the steak stuff and, and whatnot. Um, gotcha. I have to admit, I really liked the, um, I, I cheated a little bit on what I normally eat, but I did like the, the, the Hawaii cheesecake, the pineapple mango cheesecake. Oh, nice. I did not try that one. It was really good. Um, my, my winner again this year 
was the beer braised beef from Belgium. Oh, so okay. good. I like that one. And for dessert, uh, the Irish uh, the Irish pudding, which was basically a, a flourless Irish uh, chocolate lava cake tort with mm. Irish cream sauce poured all over it. And mm. finally, they made it big again because the past couple of years, it was tiny. Like That's what she said. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ah. It was cold. Now, the past couple of years, it was tiny. It was about the size of like a miniature Reese's peanut butter cup. And this time it was about the size of a, uh, it was big. It was much bigger. So very happy with that. And it was delicious. So those are my two big ones. Uh, Jimmy, did you try anything there? I did not. You missed out. Oh, dear. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> Captain cell phone strikes again. If I'm not farting, my cell phone's going off. What the heck? Anyway, let's. Uh... So, yeah, it came to a close. Uh Food and wine, it's great every year. Though, of course, it'll start again, uh, I believe, either the end of next August or beginning next September. And I believe so, yeah. And uh, we try to, I know I try to go every year. Because it typically starts up around the same time as Halloween Horror Nights, right? A little bit before, I think. Because I know that September and October are the times that I'm driving out that way, like, mm-hmm. all the time. So, there's that. Uh, the, other, the other big news was something I noticed, and I was shocked and excited about it, but... Amazon uh, did pick up a two-year license for, or at least two years, for Lord of the Rings TV show, which is going to explore other parts of the book than we've seen in the movies. And the rights were absolutely crazy for Amazon to pick it up because it was $250 million just for the rights. Wow. It's not production. That's not hiring actors, directors. That is, okay, you can use the name Gimli. Here's $250 million, or I'll take $250 million for that name. Wow. And other stuff. And, and do, you, do you know what it is they plan on doing with it? I mean, are they, are they looking at doing, um, doing stories during the time of, like, the Lord of the Rings saga? Or are they, are they like, kind of creating their own story a la, like, Shadows of War? I think it's going to be a little bit of both from what – there's been very little news other than the fact that it's – they definitely at least have two years that they've – said they're going to do and mm-hmm. that they have the rights okay. there's been no actors no directors and i think some of what they're going to show is stuff that you might have seen the results of in the other movies mm-hmm. like uh you'll know the name better than me but like the dwarf kingdom how it's all like destroyed mm-hmm. you'll see like okay. some of the stuff that led to that or different factions that hate each other why you know why is that the case so i think it's going to be a little bit i would not be surprised if it's very similar to you know, running alongside like Shadows of Mordor, Shadows of War, where you kind of see some of the stuff happening in the peripheral, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to try to reinvent the wheel. Like they're not going to tell a story that's been told before. Okay. That's, that's my guess. But that's mostly because you don't spend that much money to then just do a retelling. If that's the case, right. you just buy the rights to it and play it again. You know, <laughs> There's enough versions of those movies that you can, if you really feel like playing them on your, your streaming service, then you just do it. Yeah. So. It's exciting. I'm excited about that. I've I actually love that world. I, I've read the books, although they're nowhere near as exciting as the the movies. But I'm a uh, very big fan of that. Oh, it's and, it's it's a great it's it's its own great like mythology. It's got a whole it's got a whole story unto itself. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's it's very immersive. You can really get into it. The and the movies did absolutely nothing but help it because the movies were fantastic. Yeah. 
And uh, I think we're going to get into the actual like show part where we talk about our five things. And speaking of things that we really, really like, Jimmy's going to talk about something that he loved. I'm going to talk. So our, our first talk, topic um, is is my topic because Greg is forcing me to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I don't believe I've talk actually – I'm I'm getting there. I don't <laughs> Do believe I've actually mentioned this movie on the show before, but one of the kind of formative movies um, for me was a movie called SLC Punk. And if you haven't seen SLC Punk, it starred uh, Matthew Lillard. Uh, Devin Sawa was actually in it, former heartthrob. Um, but it was just this great movie about – It also know, starred uh, Scooter McGavin, whose name I never remember. Shooter, Shoot, shooter, sorry, shooter, shooter. <laughs> Apparently, you don't remember that I name. Remember there, Shooter McGavin. Sorry, Scooter from works Happy too. Happy Gilmore, by the way. Yeah, from Happy Gilmore. That is Christopher McDonald. Yes. Um, yes, he played the overbearing. Well, not overbearing, but the kind of uh, this is what you're going to do with the the rest of your life, son. Kind of, kind of dad. Um, it was about the uh, emerging punk scene in um, in the middle '80s, uh, mid to late '80s in Salt Lake City, Utah. And it was full of, you know, now, you know, punk nostalgia, I guess, if you could kind of throw it into a collective pot. Uh, it had music of bands that I came to love. I still listen to. I'll go on my punk kick every once in a while. Um, bands like Fear, Black Flag, The Exploited, uh, The Fictitious Extreme Corporal Punishment, Um if you're if you're familiar with the movie, you'll know what that is, and it, it really kind of created a shift in my musical taste. The movie came out in 1998. Um, I was way big into electronic music at the time, and and kind of got prodigy. away from my, the Prodigy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> Prodigy, Pragacon, Lords of Acid, um, all that that fun stuff. But you know, it really got me back into to punk and and hardcore, and uh, I watched another movie that we're going to be talking about uh the babysitter and immediately after i watched that i kind of started flipping through my recommended for you list and on there was before you you move on real quick um for us for me slc punk when i was working at blockbuster that was one of the blockbuster exclusive movies i mean it was released it was released right to blockbuster they paid for the rights um right Mm -hmm. off the bat and they did that with a few movies and i was so we had a lot of copies of it in the store now, mind you, this store, my store was in Boca Raton, Florida, which is definitely not the most punk of cities. It is everything is pink. Everything, everyone is rich, not me, but everyone else is rich. And this movie was great. And it was this you know, punk kid kind of thumbing at a different version of what I was living through and living in. And what was funny is, you know, as a Blockbuster employee, people were coming in like, oh, what should I rent? And, you know, there's quite a few kids that you could just tell. I'm like, guys, you have to rent this movie whether they were the metalhead kids or punk kids or even the hip hop kids, you know, like you guys have to see this movie, but we ended up with a ton of extra copies. So like I ended up owning it. I'm sure you did too. Oh yeah. It did not leave my VHS player for several years. Yeah. And it was like a pretty bite-sized movie. Like you'd start it and it'd be like, Oh wow, that was over already. It's like an hour and 30 minutes. If I remember correctly, it was not long, but it was really good. So anyway, back to uh, what, how you tormented yourself. Well, I yeah, I was flipping through the recommended for you know, because you watched this. So I and I saw that there was an SLC Punk too, and I said, "How? I mean, why?" So I was working on homework. I said, "All right, I'll give it a shot." And I hated it from the very beginning. 
I hated it from the the title sequence. I hated it from whatever song that they had to play because they couldn't license any other punk. You know, they're I I was just really put off by it, and um, that resentment didn't change throughout the whole entire movie. Um, it was written and directed by the guy who did LLC Punk in 1998, and you know, had this movie come out a couple of years after SLC Punk, then maybe it would have been good. But <laughs> this, uh, this is, you know, how many years? God, 1998. How how long ago was that? I don't know. 19 years ago. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, but this movie only came out last year, and uh, it followed the son of. A character who passed away in the first film, um, a guy named Bob, and it followed his goth uh, son around, and they were going to a punk show, and they had a few characters. Uh, Matthew Lillard was absent from the movie. He's he's probably this is saying a lot about the rest of the cast. He's probably the most um, he's probably the biggest name. Um, to this day, but Devin Sawa was in it. He replied, reprised his role as Sean. Um, it was very forgettable. He, there was no connection to the characters. They tried to, I guess, establish this family relationship and, you know, this guy's son discovering his punk roots and it just didn't work. None of it worked. All of the bands that they had at the end of it, the, that they went to this show, they weren't good. Uh, I'm looking movie. at the other movie so that the director um, directed and wrote, and Witch Heart Two, Witchcraft Four, Hard Drive, The Upstairs Neighbor, Terrify the like. From looking at this list of movies and the fact that they kind of stopped in 2009 and then started up again in 2016, I'm thinking that the first SLC Punk was quite possibly the aberration in the fact that it was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's like an accident. Yeah. Um, just it was uh it was a steaming pile of garbage and um it hurt i i told somebody earlier it was like getting punched in the chest for an hour and a half it was wow. so bad i'm glad i could bring that back to you though Make you <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> um for so leave it yeah in closing one of my favorite movies of the late 90s uh, a movie that I hold very dear and I still love despite the stain on it that is uh, SLC Punk 2, uh, Punk's Dead, which there wasn't even any damn punk in the movie. It just didn't work. It was horrible. Do yourself a favor, though. Check out SLC, SLC Punk, the first one. And then just stop. love it. Stop right there. And stop. Don't watch part two. I beg you. Don't even do it to torture yourself. It's kind of how I felt after I saw The Crow 2. Like I, the crow one blew my mind, and the crow two was like, uh, "Let's pretend that didn't happen." You were like, "Eh." <laughs> How do you feel about Jason Momoa in the next uh, crow movie? I was going to actually, hopefully, bring that up at the next episode when I learned a little bit more. Oh, then wait, we'll it, wait up, blow it, Jimmy. But no, no, no. It's I mean, it's nothing we discussed. But I think I'm gonna be okay with it. Just I think he throws himself into roles. I mean, the fact that he's been all over TV this week is talking where he can still talk in Dothraki, even though he was only in one season. And he just seems like he has so much fun in roles. And I don't want a straight remake of The Crow. I want a remake or I want a story that tells 
another tale of resurrection and revenge, but completely different from the first one, which is what it was initially supposed to be anyway. So I really want to see where they're going with it because but sometimes have we have we have all as we have already learned not even Jason Momoa's pecs can save certain movies. You take that back, you monster. <laughs> that movie was straight up terrible. Stop. Which one? Oh what yeah, up? gotcha. Oh yeah. Which I don't remember his name anymore. The the cannibal movie. Jimmy? Uh yeah. <laughs> what was it? What was the movie called? I don't remember. It was so forgettable. Um that's pathetic. We just talked about it. I don't it know. Two months ago. Um, hang on. Sorry. Oh, research department. I'm looking. I'm looking. I was going to look up Keanu Reeves, but I figured I'd, I'd have to scroll too much. Uh, that that was, was the Bad Batch. That's it. The Bad, the batch, bad batch. Yeah. So, anyway, I will. Uh, and I guess we, we will be able to probably discuss next week if Jason Momo was able to save what appears to be yet another dark entry into the Superman, Batman, Justice League franchise. Your mom's name is Martha, too? Speaking of comic books, Greg, why don't you uh, introduce our next, top- next yeah. topic? Okay, so first of all, let me let me just talk a little bit about our earlier comment about history. So, so yes, I screwed up some history, and Jimmy screwed up some history. but uh, You did, not me. You, you most certainly did. You called something the Mechanical Revolution. In a different universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I only missed the Great Depression by about 10 years, first of all. Second of all, uh, this is a goofy show with three dudes talking about pop culture crap. So I will make some more history mistakes, I'm sure. However, I recently saw that there was a show called Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comics. Uh, Robert Kirkman is the executive producer, and if you don't know the name Robert Kirkman, uh, he wrote a little comic book called The Walking Dead which of course became a big show called The Walking Dead. And to this day, I'm angry at myself that I held the first issue of that comic in my hand before it blew up, and it's now going for easily $5,000, and I do not own a copy of it, because I'm like, eh, I won't buy this. Anyway, he also wrote a comic called Invincible, and that will probably eventually be optioned. And Anyway, he's, he's big. So he was able to get all of this history stuff boiled down to, I believe, a six-episode miniseries and it's a documentary style miniseries a lot of interviews with people a lot of actual art because he has the he has the the ability to get that stuff he got marvel comics and dc comics everything okay and it's really good it's it's everything i wanted the lore show to be when it came to what they were showing like the real stuff and the real interviews with the real people obviously some of that stuff in lore you couldn't do Mm -hmm. but And I was riveted. I watched the first two episodes. The first episode was on um, Stanley and Jack Kirby, who we talked about last week. Yes. And, you know, they asked some pretty tough questions. And one of the big things with Stanley and Jack Kirby was um, Stanley wrote all the words. Jack Kirby did all the drawings for stuff like Fantastic Four, the Hulk. If it's a major comic character, he probably created it or worked on it. Captain America, all these guys. After a little bit of time, I won't say years because I always forget them. But late 60s, early 70s, Kirby left and basically was like, I'm out because he wasn't getting any of the credit for doing all this. And he was right now. There's usually one artist that will do a comic book a month. And some of them are doing one artist will do a comic book every other month and they'll have like guest artists in between. And Kirby was doing multiple comics each month without computers, without all that stuff. So he was just plowing through them. Um, And he was very dynamic and he left and went on to DC and actually created 
bunch of characters called the New Gods, some of which will be in the JLA movie. Now, the big story with that whole thing is that he didn't get any of the money from all this. Stan Lee and the Marvel Company did. So he wasn't getting residuals and bas- and died basically poor. So the guy that created what Captain America looks like or the Hulk looks like or the Fantastic Four, any of these characters got nothing other than his initial paycheck. Kind of like so, Snow White. Well, Snow White was written, you know, decades ago or hundreds of years ago. No, I mean the actress who played Snow White. Uh, the voice? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was also um, Betty Boop, I believe, right? No, I don't. I don't believe so because Disney copyrighted her voice. Huh, good. And she she was never able to work again. So far, the theme of this episode is uh, corporations suck. But anyway, so that you know that was that episode. But they actually asked Stan Lee about him leaving, which was I was surprised. And the look on his face—I mean, he looked—he gave an answer that he was like away doing promo promotions for something, and when. Kirby left and he's like, I never really got a chance to know why he left. And you know, Stan Lee, we know him a lot now from all of his cameos and he's likable and, you know, rollicking and he's came up with all these great stories and gives really good haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. According to Thor. And it, there was, there's some stuff going on there. And, you know, the way he answered, I thought was really interesting. He's the way he kind of looks down and he's like, well, I didn't, I don't really know. And it was either selective memory or I can't say anything about this. And, you know, the lawyers will get involved or, or I don't want to say anything about that. Yeah, so that was the first episode. It was really, really interesting. The uh, second, second episode was equally as interesting. It was about Wonder Woman. Could it, and, could it have even been like genuine, genuine hurt? Like, like he, he would, he on, honestly didn't know, and he really wished he did, and he can't find out. I think now, with him being what ninety something, mm-hmm. maybe. You know, that that plausible deniability. But back then, when he was in his 40s, 50s, whatever, mm-hmm. as this major, major businessman player, I don't know how he wouldn't know. Yeah. But at the same time, back then, it was considered kid stuff. I mean, the comics were 10 cents. You bought them, you rolled them up when you're done, and you stuck them in your bicycle tires to make noises. You threw them away. They were considered just trash. The fact that these stories continued many years later, no one knew it was going to happen back then. I mean, the reason why these comics are worth so much, even though they sold millions more than they do today, is people threw them away. You know, the the print runs back then were significantly higher than they are now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people would read it and give it to their kids or, or give it to their friends or whatever. Uh, the other one was actually the Wonder Woman, which I thought was really interesting. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, do you know what the creator Wonder Woman actually invented? No. Was the, it Golden Lasso? True. Bustier? Uh, it was actually Jimmy was closest to being right. Uh, he invented the lie detector test. Hmm. Nice. And he was very fascinated with the idea of of how pulse races when you lie. And it was came from uh, I believe one of his students talking about how women's pulse race when they when they're near someone they're interested in or something. And he started doing tests and realized that people lying had a pulse race. And they actually he actually started developing the lie detector test, but Ladies and gentlemen, there it is, your daily dose of history. Thank yeah. you. No, it's it's really interesting. And um, so he also went on to, of course, start writing Wonder Woman. And there's there's a dark and seedy side to it. And they it had a this episode of it. I was like, how, I knew all this stuff because I read a book about it, about <laughs> the history of the history of comics, not the history of that. And there's a, a bunch of really good books about like the history of how all this stuff happened. Uh, in fact, I wrote some of them down. Um, uh, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. If you guys want to check that out, it's like how they work. Um, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story, 
and uh, was and was Superman a spy, which is really interesting because it talks about how there was a Superman issue, uh, like I think it was about five years before the atomic bomb was like set off, or maybe a year or so before the atomic bomb was set off, and it told the story of the atomic bomb to everyone on the planet in the Superman issue. And the government actually brought in the writers and stuff because they're like, how did you know about this? And they were like, we just made crap up. And they're like, uh, because they basically told the story of what was going to happen with the Enola Gay and everything. So it's kind of an interesting story. But anyway, uh, the Wonder Woman guy, I mean, he clearly had a thing for bondage. And if you look at every old Wonder Woman issue, she's tied up. He had a thing. He definitely had a thing for strong women. And he actually was married and lived with his mistress as well. And his mistress was one of his former students. And they talk about that. His kids, he had kids from both different from both women, and one of them was really was made fun of a lot because they thought that maybe that kid was from the other woman. And there was a lot of CD stuff that they covered in a way that was actually you know, not shocking, which I thought was cool. And they actually got like Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman, stuff like that. So hmm. I highly suggest checking out the series. It was really interesting. And for any of you people what? that think that comics were good, what network is it on? Uh, it's on AMC. I think it actually plays after Walking Dead. Mm. And you can also stream it online too on the AMC.com. But the thing that I find really interesting about it is, you know, you think about comics as just for kids. But, you know, I was looking, just thinking about it, like how much pop culture is in comics? I mean, all the biggest movies, the movie this weekend, it's going, it, whether it's good or not, it's going to break the, the records. It's going to make more money this weekend than any other movie has made this weekend. Well, it'll probably lead the box office. I don't know that it'll break records because I think well, people the, have the bad well, but I think people had a bad taste from Batman versus Superman. So I think they're kind of I think they're going to to cautiously check it out. I mean, I think it'll do well. I think it'll I think it'll make a large it'll definitely win the weekend of all the movies that are currently out. Well, no, I'm referring to like, you know, they'll always say this this movie made more money on this weekend than any, any other movie that's come out on this weekend because it's coming out on a weekend that's historically not a big release weekend. Oh, that's okay. what I'm referring okay. to. I got gotcha. you. Like, you know, Thor made a lot of money. Um, that's you know, all these things are comic book movies. Um, but even if you look at like one of the high, higher rated shows on TV, Riverdale, that's based on a comic, not a superhero comic. It's, you know, men in black was based on the comic, uh, sin city, you know, all of from hell, all these past movies, uh, I think road to perdition, all these things were comics that weren't superhero comics. And people look at them like it was just trash and stuff for kids. But like this shows, I mean, the comics were one of the two original American art forms, comic books. And jazz, that's the two things made in America um, that didn't stem from anywhere else. And it's you know kind of a cool thing to know the history of it. So check it out. Awesome. All right. So I guess I'll go ahead and talk about our next topic, which hopefully you guys will get around to uh, checking out. I know, Greg, you've heard them a little bit kind of at work. I've played that is the second full length album from the band Roadkill Ghost Choir. The album is called False Youth, Etc. And Roadkill Ghost Choir is a band from DeLand, Florida, that is not too far at all from our yeah. headquarters, which, uh, yeah, I, I'm not too sure where I first discovered them. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was listening to a YouTube playlist of the Red Dead Redemption soundtrack, and this song by Roadkill Ghost Choir came up called Beggar's Guild, and the music video had a very kind of... Um, Vagabond kind of theme, uh, train jumpers kind of jumping from, I, what do they call that? Hobos? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, travelers, wanderers kind of, kind of deal. And it was a very, 
Oh, oh, oh you mean hobos? Yes. Uh, <laughs> their first first album that I heard was a very stripped down um, Americana, almost like folk. These these are terms that people used to describe them: um, Americana, Appalachia, um, Appalachia, however you want to call it, um, folk. Um, I I just think it's good. I'm looking at a picture of them right now, and they they actually look like drifters. You like you want them to look the 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 picture of them. It's like all of them in like a rowboat like in the middle hobos? of the Everglades. No, like like the lost members of the Almond Brothers. Yeah, they like, they're all in like a, in a rowboat. Um, one rowboat like in the Everglades, and the lead singer or whoever it is in the front has like really long hair parted down the middle. It's like straight long hair. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they totally look like as if the Almond Brothers just like got transported to now. Yeah, I, I, they they do. Uh, they look like you know what you picture in your head as a, a drifter. Um, the I I, I feel like uh, false use etc. has all the same spirit um, that the first album that I heard did does. And uh, but I feel like it's it's a lot more layered. There are a lot of the slide guitar elements that you would associate with. Uh, Polynesian influence or, you know, what you would kind of listen to at, you know, like a tiki bar or something. Um, I, I often use the term to describe new music that I like is relaxing. Um, and if you knew, you know, my past musical influences and music I listened to, it was anything, but that's why I was surprised when you first played it for me. Cause I know what you like and it's all pretty hard edge, whether it's, on the metal side of things, on the electro side of things, even punk, mm-hmm. as we talked about earlier. And then I, then you're like, Oh, you got to listen to this. So I, I was going into it thinking it was at most mellow. It was going to at least be something Southern rock. And then I then you heard it. I was like, wow, this is indie alternative. Like you said, who are you and me, what did you do with Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, it, it actually really reminded me a lot of, a lot of band of horses, which I really like. They've actually toured with band of horses. Yeah, I, I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, that's it." Except for the vocals are a lot different because band of horses tends to use a little more of a falsetto vocal, and the, this guy has definitely more of a uh, more of an indie rock kind of vocal, um, almost borderline. This is going to be a weird reference, but almost borderline Britpop vocals. Hmm. Um, I I get a lot of I, Tom Petty. Um, Makes sense as well. Influence, and they have cited Tom Petty and um, definitely Bruce Bruce Springsteen on the on the song classics. Uh, Die Young is is a very very Springsteen influenced track. Um, there are also very you know that's one of the higher tempo tracks on there. There are uh, you know songs on there like Sadness for My Friends, which is a very floating kind of sad song. Um, but there are twelve tracks of of wonderful good news on good news goodness on false youth etc. The album came out on October twenty seventh, and it was kind of funny. Just a couple of weeks after I had first came across their music, I'd gone to their website. Hey, everybody, we're going to be on David Letterman. So you know you can look up that video of Roadkill Ghost Choir on day, the David Letterman show before he he left. Um, television but you know this is like you you guys said this is not something that you would expect to hear me you know listening to it's it's music that 15 year old me would totally hate 15 year old you would totally give yourself a wedgie right now for talking about this oh yeah i this is not something i would have even given the time of day um it's my my 
unevolved musical mind, but um, if you're a fan of Tom Petty, like I said, Bruce Springsteen, um, check it out. And yeah, you can uh, let me know. You what can you listen think. to it on Amazon Music. I'm I'm looking at it right now. You can definitely listen to it there. Um, it's I, I'm assuming on it's on Spotify. Yep, that's where I I have it. It's very I, and I wrote this down. It's very introspective, um, it's meditative, and uh, you know it's something that I would listen to on a hike by myself or even sitting at the beach. Not a band that's content in playing just one style. They they are evolving, and I'm I'm loving it. Like McDonald's. We're going to get sued for that. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to go from introspective to absolutely ridiculous and beyond fun. Yes. Let's do it. Uh, Not too long ago, I will reference this again because when a couple episodes ago when we had Joe Ballerini on, he he had mentioned this to me before the show and possibly on the show that there was a – movie called the babysitter that we might like or i might like on halloween night actually so it's i'm a few weeks removed from this i watched the babysitter which is a horror comedy teen romp kind of thing by mick g who you best probably know him cool name from yeah you best probably know him from directing the charlie's angels movie he came from the music video world so everything was really flashy and then he directed a bunch of other movies that everyone hated like, I believe he did Terminator 4 Salvation, I believe. Ew. Uh, he also <laughs> Ew. either produced or directed a bunch of episodes of stuff like um, uh, Chuck he produced, which I love, Supernatural. He's an executive producer on, so he's he's done a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, and then he came out with this beyond fun movie named The Babysitter. And um, Jimmy, you watched it more recently. I so did. I watched, I watched it right before I watched SLC Punk. I wish I had watched them in the... Um, the opposite order, but I really hope Mick G and it's not like Mick G it's MCG. So super cool name, but um, yeah, it's Greg said it was a horror comedy and um, yeah, I say that to people and they say, well, that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. And I say, Oh, you've obviously never seen John dies at the end. Um, evil dead or, or Tucker and Dale versus evil. And if you're a fan of, any of those three movies, you're going to love the babysitter. Um, notes that I I took from this. Um, now it, it it's got a, a lot of like really long shots in the beginning of the movie. Greg, did you notice that? Yeah, I actually, kind of did. There's a few things. One, um, it has really beautiful people in it. <laughs> but yeah, the shot there were a lot of interesting shots early on in the movie, and I thought early on in the movie they did a really good job of making the relationship, the brother-sister kind of relationship between the babysitter and the main kid, really believable, despite the fact that she was gorgeous. And was that, that's uh, Samra Weaving, mm-hmm. um, also starring mm-hmm. starring Bella Thorne, Judah Lewis, and Robbie Amell. Yeah. Uh, Samra Weaving is the niece of Hugo Weaving of Matrix and Lord of the Rings fame. And so. Bella Thorne, I know that name. What's she from? Uh, she's batshit crazy, I believe. She's insane, I think. Nice. She, uh, up and coming starlet, um, super Hollywood, I guess, but really, really funny as the uh, your stereotypical cheerleader. And uh, she is in uh, Famous in Love. Let's see, huge fan. Amityville: The Awakening. Um, Lawsuit. Yeah, uh, she was in the Scream TV series, a uh, bunch of stuff. But you might know her most. I believe Jimmy is 
well, no, the reason why, because she was with like one of those like guys that's famous just for being famous. Yeah, because I go to TMZ.com every day. She was involved with Scott Disick, who was the, uh, who's the father of Kourtney Kardashian, uh, a couple of her children, I believe. All around train wreck of a person. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, there were some some pretty great practical effects in this movie. Um, I've talked about you know what a fan I am of those before, and they were a bit jarring. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was the the good old getting stabbed in the head by two knives gag. Yep. Um, there there was a lot of the um, excessive blood being shot out from a wound or a person onto a character's face. And it really kind of threw back to Evil Dead 2 in that regard. And it was very self-aware. Like the 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 guy who this happened to several times was like, oh, come on, man, not again. <laughs> you know, and it, it was just it was funny. Uh, yeah, the, the plot of the movie, uh, it's basically this kid who has this gorgeous babysitter. And he's a little bit too old to have a, a babysitter. And a little bit too old to have a babysitter. And they make a joke about it because he's like, it's like, well, I don't really need one, but would you tell her to stop kind of thing? And he gets bullied a lot, but then this girl comes up and she's pulls up in her car and it's like, come on, we got to go home. And all the bullies are like, whoa. And so he decides he's going to spy on her when she has her friends over. And rather than seeing some sort of sexual escapade, he actually sees them doing like a satanic ritual, basically. Uh and it totally reminded me, and for, I'm going to jump back to comic world here, of the first series of the comics, The Runaways, which is going to be a show very soon, too, and where all these kids would get together every year, and their parents were supposed to be superheroes, but they're actually supervillains, and they would all these like random kids would get together, and they decided to see what their parents were doing, and they were like sacrificing someone to get their, to get their powers. Mm. So it that part reminded me, and then, of course, it's it takes a swerve, but... Um, in the babysitter, it was it's that, and then it basically leads to all of these various stereotypes trying to track down the kid and stop him or kill him or absorb him or whatever. Yeah, you've got your, you know, the quarterback of the football team. Which I believe got, is Robbie Amell, right? Sure. Um, you've got the... Uh, <laughs> from, from from Supernatural and the brother of uh, Stephen Amell from Era. You've got the uh, the cheerleader who's Bella Thorne, of course. You've got the the class clown. Uh, you've got the quiet kind of goth girl. Um, it just just to round it all out. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a super fun movie. It's a it's a romp, as Greg likes to to use the word. Um, very heavy on the practical effects. Uh, very heavy on the the irony. Just a you know, it, like I said, if you're a fan of Tucker and Dale versus Evil, John dies at the end. Even Zombieland, to a certain extent, there are some really neat kind of heads up display graphics that they use very sparingly. Oh yeah, um, like Scott Pilgrim versus World kind of deal. Yeah, then definitely check it out. Yeah, have have fun with the movie, guys. It's um, very fun. It it went very fast. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, definitely worth the time. If you got Netflix, check it out. That sounds like one that I will have to check out. You really should. You're, you'll like it very specifically. You'll like it. When you're not at theme parks, Rob. Oh, hey. Well, I I have a feeling that I'm not the only one who attended, but I think, I think I'll jump in with our last one, and we're going to discuss uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas, which is a special ticketed event at Disney. It begins in November, I believe. I believe it just started this month. 
Um, and it runs through, I believe it runs through the new year, doesn't it? Or does it stop at Christmas? I think it runs through the new year. Okay. Um, but it's, it's similar to Mickey's not so scary Halloween in that it's a special ticketed event. It's really kind of geared at children. Um, and I attended, uh, I attended both this year and I have to say that I actually, I actually enjoyed Mickey's very Merry Christmas, whereas I didn't really care too much for not so scary Halloween. What? I know, right? But um, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas, um, it just seemed like there was more for me to do. Um, they had they had um, treat stations set up, kind of like... Uh, not kind so of like scary. Not so, yeah, kind of like Not So Scary, except it, instead of just being like wrapped candy that they gave you, it was actual like things that they had cooked. So they had like, uh, they had like different cookies... They had these peppermint chocolate chip cookies that were so good. And then they had the the ginger snaps. Oh, those were fantastic. And the eggnog. And they had uh, various <laughs> drinks and stuff at some of the stations. They had pretzels at one of the stations. Um, it was all, I mean, the, the food was excellent. The The shows were, eh, I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a, of a live show guy, but the, the shows were enjoyable. They had, um, they had a special parade as well. And they had a uh, fireworks show. But, I mean, it's pretty much like Not-So-Scary Halloween. It's very similar. Um, and I don't know, because I, I didn't go last year, but I'm pretty sure I'd seen, like, the Not-So-Scary Halloween show before, the one with the Sanderson sisters. Um, I had yes. I had not seen the show that they did for Very Merry Christmas before. So I don't know if they do a different show each year for Very Merry Christmas or if they just pull out the same old show every year. Gotcha. So that runs select nights from November 9th to December 22nd. Oh, okay. So just before Christmas. Oh, well. It's so weird. I was not at Very Merry Christmas, but I was on the Disney property, three different parks this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood Studios, which currently has uh, the Tower of Terror looking like it's made out of gingerbread using projection, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, downtown, uh, sorry, not downtown Disney, unless you're Jimmy. Uh, Disney Springs. Don't call it that. And... And then Epcot. And what's really weird is, like, I am definitely one of those people, like, I'm not anti-Christmas, but I'm very anti-Christmas in November. Like, <laughs> you, oh, get, yeah. you get up to Thanksgiving, and then the day after Thanksgiving, which is actually November, obviously, but after the day after Thanksgiving, that's when your butt should be outside putting up your lights and whatever. And it's weird because, like, you walk around all these parks, and it's – there's so much Christmas stuff in these up in these parks for all these various events, and – you get out of the park and you almost forget that it's not Christmas yet or it's not like in a week. Cause like I, I was walking in the park and I got this like mini panic that I'm like, Oh, I, I need to be buying presents for people. Not like realizing that it hasn't even been Thanksgiving yet. You need to buy presents for me. No, <laughs> no, I, I don't believe that's the case. Oh, I'm going to uh, buy you the same thing I get you every year. The a subscription and the you're not getting anything a month club. That's messed up, man. <laughs> the decorations are great um, around the parks, and didn't even give me a chance to go with that one. That's all right. Go, uh, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. By all means, give us our explicit rating. <laughs> I'll I'll pass on it this week because we're talking about Disney's uh, very very Christmas. So, oh, oh, that's a, a Christmas present to me, the editor. They it's don't... a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> God bless oh, us, everyone. Yes. Awesome. So thank you for listening to the Give Me Five Christmas <laughs> special. 
Um, so, so do you think I should? I, I also was not beyond impressed with the not so scary Halloween, partially because it was just too many people. Mm-hmm. Not the night I went there. Too many lines. I I went way too close to Halloween. I think. Mm. Yeah. But, well, and, and it's and it's probably like that, and and also like Halloween Horror Nights. The closer you go to the actual holiday, the busier it's going to be. Mm. Because when I went to uh, Very Merry Christmas, it was not sold out. The night, the evening was not. They had not sold all the tickets yet. Oh, so wow. yeah, it's. Um, I like I said, I I enjoyed it. There was there was stuff there to do. Um, like if you were to take Ethan, was there snow? There was. Uh, I didn't see any snow. Okay. But you know there were there were decent goodies. There were well prepared goodies. There was a show. Ethan would be entertained if you took him. Gotcha. And there would be plenty of sugar for him to get all hyped up on before you took him home. Nice. He was very happy with all the Christmas trees at at uh, Disney Springs. He was kept mm-hmm. on running over to him and kind of looking up at him with like sparkles in his eyes. So, yeah. so does that close us out on our five topics? I think it does. I think okay. it might. And that I believe should then lead into our question. And who would like to ask that question? I'll run with that. Oh. So since uh, since I had so many wonderful things at uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas, we decided to run with what were our five top theme park snacks or foods? Okay. And I, and I know that we've debated this a little bit in the past, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a go at it now. Okay. So here are our caveats behind this. One, this is food that is either primarily found in the theme parks or kind of started off being found in the theme parks. Cause sometimes they'll like push it out as like a microwavable version or something. They're licensed it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So things primarily found in the theme parks um, or in any of the theme park related like restaurants. Oh, and, you totally. Okay. Go ahead. Just relax, man. And it's also something that is available pretty much year round at the theme parks. So not like pretty much food and wine. I could pick five things right from there. That's fantastic, but that's only for a month. Yeah, or two months. And and so. it's and it's not always back the next year. Yeah, who wants to uh, start this off? I th- I think Greg should start it off since you cheated on one of them. Oh, you not. took it off. <laughs> I did not. Okay, so I am going to do one in honor of my father. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, who is no longer with us, and there is a theme park in Pittsburgh called Kennywood. And it's where we all used to go for like the end of the year school thing and whatever. And at that theme park, my dad always said his favorite ride was the potato patch, which was a hand cut potato French fry place that you get these giant steak cut fries and you could top them with whatever you wanted for the most part. That was they had um, like beef gravy and bacon mm-hmm. and cheese wow. that you could get on it or, or nacho cheese or, or melted cheddar cheese. And when you got like bacon on it, it was if you look at it, you can't even see the French fries. It's just a mound of bacon bits on top of the gravy on top of whatever. So um, that is not the reason why my father is no longer with us, but that he always, <laughs> not to be dark, but it uh, very well could be actually, but now, um, but that was always, he always said, you know, when I was a kid and it'd be like, dad, what's your favorite ride? He would be like, Oh, the potato patch um, still exists years later. If anyone has ever seen the movie Adventureland, that movie takes place in Kennywood. Um, that's another movie that I happen to like that is, you know, way more popular in my mind than it actually was. So that potato patch was by number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with the Dole Whip as number four. And this would have been higher. Uh, it is available in the hotels and it's available in Disney. The Dole uh, Whip? 
the Dole Whip. Whip. It's available in the uh, in Magic Kingdom and uh, Disneyland, Disney World. And the only reason it fell a little bit was because the ice cream place across the street from my house, literally less than a mile from my house, now has it available. So I could walk over and get it at any time. So it's a little less special. Ah. What? Yeah. I'm coming to your house. Me too. No, you're not. I, oh, I've boy. moved. I've moved. Um, number three is the, I don't know exactly what it's called, but the Cletus Chicken and Waffles from the Simpsons area Yeah. at Universal Studios. Uh and I actually even get this with a change because I do not like mayonnaise, and they have a maple syrup mayonnaise that I do not get on it. It's delicious. It's disgusting. And <laughs> he's, he's incorrect. And even then, it is really good. It's a perfect combination of uh, sweet and salty. And don't say a word, Rob. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do not need to know any other perfect combinations of sweet and salty. Number two, I feel, is going to yeah, be moderately controversial because I'm going to go with hot butterbeer, also from Universal. I love the butterbeer stuff. They have frozen, they have on ice, and they have uh, hot. It's got the delicious marshmallow whipped cream kind of stuff on top. It's kind of a butterscotchy, cream soda-y, I don't know, just good if you haven't had it. You, it's you very like sweet. the hot, warm, and creamy stuff in your mouth. I got you. I should have also probably prefaced that <laughs> by telling telling Rob to stop. Uh, but yeah, the the hot butter beer. Uh, I don't know. I think when I wrote this, it was a little cold outside, so I was kind of feeling more on the hot side um, for that. And my number one is the ever so traditional Mickey Mouse ice cream bars. Uh, the that would be the ones that is the ice cream in the shape of the silhouette of Mickey with the chocolate on top of it, mm-hmm. uh, making Not the, the sandwich the one that actually comes on the stick. Yeah, it's a little different now, if I remember correctly, right? It used to have vanilla with chocolate ice cream making up the face of Mickey, and then just the ears were chocolate-covered, and I think now the whole thing is just chocolate-covered. That, that is correct. Yeah. So I, I'm going way back. I'm going to actually go to the original. Oh, okay. where, where the But you can't really get that anymore, so it's really any of the Mickey Mouse ice cream bars. Uh, that is my childhood and memories just all wrapped up into one little frozen treat. So that's my five, and I wipe my hands again. Whoops. I've heard that a few times tonight. Sorry. Rob, why don't you go next? All right. Well, I will... Not that my list is crazy. <laughs> I I will uh, start at number five also. Um, the Mickey ice cream bars also made my list, but they're at number five. And that's that's largely because, one, they're a classic treat, but two, they're also fairly plain. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly basic uh, ice cream treat. It's just... You know the Mickey head covered in chocolate on the ice on the stick, um, but you know it's a classic and it's something that most people go and get while they're at the park. Um, the The rest of my list I was noticing um, actually is predominantly Universal, um, so that is actually my only entrant from the Disney parks. But at number four, I don't know if you guys have ever had them, but Cowfish at at Universal City Walk has these alcoholic milkshakes that are ridiculously good. Uh, I think I have had one. They, I have not. They, no. they've, got, they've got one that's like banana, one that's chocolate, one that's strawberry, but like all of them are just really, really good. I tend to always get the chocolate one. Um, uh, Jen always gets the, um, the strawberry one. Sometimes does, uh, does other Jimmy hook us up? No, but he does make our sushi. Okay. We have a friend named, also named Jimmy who makes sushi at Cowfish. Hey, and, what's up? 
<laughs> no, no, no. Okay. my my Jimmy is Asian, and they totally they totally stereotyped him. And when he applied, he they were like, "Oh, you're Asian? Can you roll sushi? You're gonna make sushi." I was like, "Whoa, what? Wait, what?" He's like, "I've done it once." And they're like, "Good. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Here's a hat." So, um, so yeah, the the alcoholic milkshakes at Cowfisher are my number four. My number three is gonna be the frozen butter beer. I actually prefer the frozen butterbeer to the hot, unless it's a cold day. On a cold day, the hot butterbeer actually is really good. Um, of the three, the – the do they even have a regular butterbeer? I thought they did. I think they do, but of because of the three, I believe that's my least favorite. But I love the frozen. The frozen butterbeer is so good. Um, at number two, both number two and number one on my list come from the same restaurant, and it's one of the – Two, I believe there's only two sit-down restaurants at the parks in Universal. No, no, there's three. There's two in Islands of Adventure. There's one sit-down restaurant in Universal Studios, and that is Finnegan's, Finnegan's Irish Pub. Um, my number two choice is the Shrimp Scargo, which is a, it comes out with like the, the shrimp curled up in a little, almost like a little egg dish where it's cooked in like butter and garlic and they douse it with cheese. Yeah. It almost looks like the little container that you get with uh, with watercolors to mix the colors together. Yes, yes. <laughs> little plastic thing. Yeah, but it is, it is absolutely delicious. I believe you've had it before, Greg, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It is so good. So good. But my number one has to be Finnegan's uh, Guinness Beef Stew. That is so good. And I've had their beef, I've had the beef stew at other places and it doesn't, and I know sometimes they say it's made backstage and it, and it's all the same thing, but I've had it at another location and it doesn't taste the same. The Guinness beef stew at Finnegan's is so good. It is, it is absolutely my favorite. And, and I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and throw yours in there, Greg, the honorable mentions, because if we were allowed to include stuff, not at the theme park, Disney Springs restaurants would make both my list and Greg's list because Greg really liked the ribs at Morimoto. Yeah, the 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 chili hoisin ribs will change your life. Mm-hmm. If you go to Disney Springs and you go to Morimoto's, he's one of the iron chefs. Get the ribs. You can even get them outside. You don't even have to wait in line. But if you go to Disney Springs, probably number two on my list would be from Disney Springs, and that would be from Chef Art Smith's Florida Homecoming Kitchen. They have this amazing thigh-high chicken biscuit. It's served with a hot honey sauce on a biscuit. It's it's a freaking appetizer. They give you three chicken strips sandwiched in a biscuit. I order that as my meal. It is so ridiculously good. Uh, Jimmy, can we agree that, that it was really uncomfortable the way he said hot honey sauce? So my five... <laughs> I wasn't comfortable with that at all. But Homecoming Florida Kitchen is probably the best all-around food at Disney Springs. The best menu at Disney mm. Springs. Their food is so good. Check them out. Jimmy, what are what your, your five? What are your five, Jimmy? My five. Uh, starting with number five and one that I've had recently. Actually, my five and four are from the same park, and that is from Pandora in the Animal Kingdom. Uh, number five maybe because it was such a hot day and it was so damn refreshing is the Hawks Grog Ale that is an exclusive beer to that park and it's green and I got a knobby egg thing, whatever little light up thing that goes with it. And I'm actually looking at it right now. It was really good. It was green. It was cold. <laughs> it was awesome. 
Uh, number four, also from the same park, is the Pongo Lumpia, which sounds crazy. It's a pineapple cream cheese lumpia. And see, I and had I, that. I thought it sounded disgusting, but I loved it. What did you think? I thought it tasted okay, but don't try and walk and eat it because that thing falls apart as you eat it. Like you take a bite and it all squirts out the end. Wow. Yeah, it but looks, it was awesome. It looks like a McDonald's, uh, one of the McDonald's pies. It does. It, it looks unimpressive, but it was delicious. My number three is the uh, cold or frozen butterbeer. Um, I had it once, and I'm standing there waiting for the, the little stand to open, and I go up and I say, um, you know, concerned that maybe I was drinking too early in the day. And I, I said, excuse me, um, this, this has alcohol in it, correct? And the <laughs> woman working at the little uh, <laughs> butterbeer booth just looked at me and she said haven't you seen the movies <laughs> like um no i haven't it says beer i i didn't know what to expect but it was delicious my number two can i include something that i have not had but will have very soon that is exclusive to the parks yes turkey legs <laughs> i don't believe those are exclusive to the parks the disney they turkey legs though like are a it's a Disney thing. I mean, yeah, you can go to Winn Dixie and get one from the the bakery sometimes, but the turkey legs are definitely a thing. We'll, we'll let you. Have it. It's the way it's the way they're made. Yeah, and I've had them, and I I will vouch for them as being pretty delicious, if not really messy. Number one, Dole Whip. Keep it simple, although non exclusive anymore, apparently. <laughs> um. You will, uh, that rounds out my five. Yeah, you're going to show up at the Sweet Frog across the street from my house. Thank you for letting me know the name of that place. Yeah. It'll keep you from knocking on my door, I guess. Okay, now we got to break this down. And I've I've already pulled three out because we've already grabbed them. You know, we've already, we pretty much put them on at least more than one list. So uh, the ice cream bars, the butter beer, and the Dole Whip have been pulled out. Yes, I actually I didn't necessarily forget about the shrimp scargo and the Guinness beef stew, but. Ooh. <laughs> I just burped as a result of talking about it. Um, between that, Guinness beef stew, the shrimp scargo, and also the scotch egg at the Het Finnegan's, like that's a heart attack on a plate on a plate. It's all like in the same like app it, appetizer area. But it is, and they're all, all really good. So uh, delicious. I, I would totally add the shrimp scargo into the five, but I, I don't. If there's any, what is there anything that you guys are going to fight for? I will fight for the shrimp scargo or the Guinness beef stew. At least one of those needs to be on the list because they are they are the reason I go to Finnegan's. I go to Finnegan's to get either one of those items, sometimes yeah. both. That's not the first time I've heard that sentiment. I will let you have both of those. Right, well, let's see, because there's I, I think the turkey leg is also kind of a classic one. Yeah. And I can't fight for it because I haven't had it yet, but I can't wait to have it. I'm going to club somebody with it. I want to have like four of them. The only problem I have with the turkey leg is you see like some like more rude tourists that leave the like nod upon turkey legs like in planters and stuff. Ugh. But yeah. Well, if but... you plant one, they grow more. <laughs> <laughs> I need a turkey leg tree. We're going to get emails from angry biologists next. <laughs> You can't plant a turkey lake. Yeah, watch me try. Okay, <laughs> like he, like hell, I can't plant it. I can totally plant it. Doesn't, you don't know what you're talking. Doesn't about. Doesn't mean it's I, gonna grow anything, Mister Science Man. 
So mechanical I, revolution. Yeah, so I think by the Lannister guy. I think in order here. I think I'm going to put Butterbeer number one, and I will tell I you would, why. I would have to agree with that. Because all right, three different types. People are coming to the park specifically for that. There are people all over the place that are saying, I'm going to Universal. The first thing I'm doing is getting Butterbeer. That's one That's thing. That's true. The other thing is that the idea of making a new style of food based on a book and a movie series, that opened the door for them wanting to do it with everything. The reason the Avatar stuff exists is because the, the Harry Potter stuff was so popular. The reason the Simpsons thing, where they're making stuff from the Simpsons episodes, is because of the Butterbeer. So I would put Butterbeer as number one. You have to try it. It's it's really good. Yeah. I would put probably the Dole Whip as number two because that is... That's another one I hear a lot about people going to the park to get. Yeah, it's classic and people will go to it because their parents did it when they were, you know, in the 60s, 70s. I, I will give you that one. I would say that Shrimp Scargo should be number three because if, if you haven't tried it, you need to because it is really good. The shrimp Especially scar- if you like uh, shrimp and um, heart attacks. Yes, the shrimp scargo or the Guinness beef stew, either one of them, but they are. I excellent. like one of those things, the other one not so much. Gotcha. You like heart yeah. attacks? No, that's <laughs> not where I was going with that. And um, so, yeah, shrimp scargo is number three. Let's go with number four, the plain but still delicious Mickey ice cream bar. Of course. Okay. And I'm, I'm thinking... Do we think turkey leg number five or yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking I I, I can't fight strongly for, um, you know, the, the two things that I've had at Pandora cause I've only had them once, but I, I do plan on having about eight or nine turkey legs the next time I go to Disney. <laughs> okay. So we're, we're going turkey leg next, and next time we see Jimmy, he's going to be double fisting a turkey leg at Disney. Yeah. And we'll be, we'll do the, um, Memorial episode post 15 turkey legs. <laughs> so, hey man, I'm going for a record, all right? <laughs> I've seen some of the people that walk around Disney. That will probably not be a record. So, ready? Number five, turkey leg. Number four, Mickey ice cream bar. Number three, shrimp scargo from Universal Studios. That's at Finnegan's. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm just burping up a storm here. Number two, the Dole Whip that you can get at the, at, uh, the Polynesian, Land. the Polynesian Resort, and Adventureland. That's right. And across the street from my house. And <laughs> number one, Butterbeer, whether it be hot or cold or frozen, you want to put that into your mouth. They did such a good job with the Butterbeer. Whoever, whoever came up with the recipe, whoever envisioned this thing, it was their geniuses because it is delicious. Yeah. Yes. Her name's J.K. Rowling. I don't think she came up with the recipe. Yes, she did. She approved of the recipe. I don't think. Please she- do not get us in a Twitter war with J.K. Rowling. <laughs> that will not end well for any of us. Okay, fellow, give me five podcast people. Any final words, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> it was nice talking to you guys. It's nice knowing you. Yeah. Enjoy your turkey legs and your heart. My head spin will be in the shape of a turkey leg. And Rob, if you have, if you haven't done it, seriously. Check out Finnegan's. Check out the Guinness Beef Stew. Check out the Shrimp Scargo. Check out a good cardiologist. Yes. And thanks for listening, guys. We will probably be back next week talking about the Justice League. And I'm concerned. (laughs) And everything that's wrong with it. Yes. I will be missing from next week's 
podcast because I will be in Virginia. Oh, I did not know that. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Enjoy your week off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So next time we will uh, be talking a lot about Jimmy. And his penchant for hobos. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Curse you, EA!